0: So this episode is part two of Understanding the ADV part two. Okay, then. That seems reasonably clear. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. Alex here
1: with uh, our co-host, it seems, (laughs) our new best friend. You're going to take over from Bob on these things. Uh, (laughs) Ryan Walter. And we're here to discuss... This is part 2 of our discussion of our of the ADV part 2 and the whole theme is we have we, gotten a lot of questions this past year as Wade and I have been doing these 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 arcs on on investment issues where the, some of these questions are literally I'm looking to get an I'm looking for an advisor what what do we what what are what are the tells right or just questions saying I'm not going to use an advisor because I'm going to put myself at risk for you know, some sort of impropriety. And so what we wanted to do in this is just how do we make people informed consumers? Do what you want, ultimately, because I think at the end of the day, if you think an advisor is useful, you'll go down that right. If you don't think an advisor is useful, I don't think there's anything we can say to change that mind. And and that's fine. But I what I want to avoid is folks having misconceptions about what that relationship dynamic looks like from a logistical standpoint, not like, you know, my advisor's good, he listens to me, that that kind of thing. That's important, as Ryan pointed out in the first episode of this arc, but it's really more the business of advice, sort of, you know, let's get down to the brass tacks of what's actually being delivered and for what. And that's done in a document known as the ADV. And it came to light for me. I I had no idea. I thought it was an acronym at this point. ADV is the first three letters for advisors. (laughs) You know, guilty as It really is that simple. I had no idea. <laughs> but uh, so there's 18 items in the ADV. We went we went down the first five, and we're taking our time with this. We don't want to go through it quickly because you know it it really is important. So uh, we're about item six right now, which is performance based fees. Something that we talked about earlier is our ADV. We're doing McLean's ADV. As you know, Wade and I are managing principles of McLean Asset Management. So, you know, we'll just go through ours as opposed to somebody random that, that we don't know. And we'll have the download in our show notes. So if you want to, like, read this while Ryan is going through it, I, I think that would be a little better. Although you can just listen to it just the same. All right. Because th- there are no charts. It's just <laughs> words, if you will. Uh Ryan, take it away. We're by uh, performance-based fees and side-by-side management. I don't even know what side-by-side yeah. side management means.
2: Nobody does. The hell is that? <laughs> yeah, but per- per- performance-based fees and side-by-side management. The most, More often than not, if you're a retail investor, you're just going to skip by this section. Uh, the Advisors Act, the, uh, the set of laws that governs conduct in the investment advisor industry prohibits the charging of performance-based compensation, except for certain clients that meet certain uh, like monetary thresholds. Yeah, usually, you're not going to be able to pay performance-based comp unless you have investments under the advisor's management in excess of $1.1 million, or you have a net worth in excess of $2.2 million. So you know, it, it the performance-based comp is kind of reserved for the top-tier, high-net-worth uh, individual clients. Uh, certain entities um, are, are eligible for performance-based comp, but for the bulk of retail investors, you're not even eligible to participate in a performance-based compensation arrangement. I personally am not eligible. Um, so yeah, you know, for most part, we, for most people, we we skip by this section because it's not material. And as you can see, for McLean, they don't charge it's- performance-based comp. Um, and I think 90 to 95% of firms out there don't charge. People.
1: Yeah. Th- this comes up indirectly sometimes when there's a prospect and some of it is they're trying to be like smart. They're trying to be cute by half. And they and the question is, Oh, we'll pay you if like the results are there, if the performance is there, you know, that kind of thing. And it's asked innocently enough, but the reality is look, no advisor worth their salt will do something like that because the reality is markets are the markets. No one, creates returns I'm, I'm putting on my little bit of an investment hat on you capture market returns and there's inherent volatility where there will be downturns and, and the like and you're actually paying for the holistic you know advice if you owe in which investments are included but you get that question sometimes like oh uh, you know if, if my performance is up that's when i'm willing to pay the fees and it, that tells more about the kind of relationship that you're ultimately going to engage with and so you know we we don't we don't even just walk, you know, if that's the case. It doesn't happen all the time, but you get, you get people like that. And my response to them is I get it, but that's not what an advisor does. And if an advisor agrees to that, to your point, it's not going to happen. But if an advisor does agree with that, that's not an advisor you probably want to be with anyways. Uh, you know, not, that would not even me consider personally. something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's weird.
2: It's not a fifth, like you're, you're like when my portfolio does well, Like you're, you're, you're lumping 20 to 25% right off the top of that. You know, I, I don't want to sign up for anything like
1: that. No, no, no. But that's, different
2: people have different preferences.
1: And maybe it's a vestige too, from like how hedge funds charge, you know, and maybe it's that kind of thing that no one ever bothered to just get a, a a pen and cross this out, but you know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) types of clients. Now what's in parentheses in all of these that an advisor won't admit is ability to fog a mirror. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like yeah, I'm yeah. like, hey, we're takers. You know, we'll take anyone. You know, that kind of thing. But now, what what would you look for here in types of clients?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're going to get a general description of like categories of clients: people, institutions, trusts and estates. That's easy enough. What we're looking for in this section is what the minimums, uh, what minimums the the firm applies and whether I even like approach those minimums or whether I fit into that, you know, ideal client, uh, that the firm is looking for. Uh, so, um, McLean, they're looking for account sizes of a million, um, or 500,000 for certain strategies. Um, you know, that, that maybe isn't a fit for me if I have $250,000 in my investment accounts. Um, but, you know, some firms may also make exceptions to that. They they may set like an ideal client is somebody who has a million dollars. But we make exceptions. We may reduce that or waive that if, if we feel like exactly. you're a good fit
0: for the firm.
1: And this goes back um, to even the fee schedules. Remember, the fee schedules are done at the highest level, but always accommodations are made. So let's say Ryan comes to us, Right. And he's a prospect and he comes to McLean and he only has $250,000 because, you know, law school, law school debt. He's starting his own practice. There's investments to be made for that, et cetera, right? Many advisors will be like, uh, well, Ryan, sure, he doesn't have the million dollars, but here's a guy that is in a law firm, a three-person partnership. They're doing extremely well. He's starting to solidify himself and he's beginning to accumulate assets. There aren't many advisors that would say no to a Ryan simply because it says on their adv a million dollars and Ryan is at two fifty and accumulated because you just you know there's business decisions that are made around that. Ryan, any any color to that?
2: No, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. If I, I maybe I have two fifty today, but maybe the realistic expectation is that five hundred year or 500, five years from now. That two fifty will be seven fifty, uh, or, or even higher, and, and it becomes it starts to look like much more of a worthwhile engagement at that point. Um, if I'm looking at it from a client's per like it, that makes it make sense from the advisor's perspective. Yeah, if I'm it, looking it, at exactly. it, if I'm coming at it from a consumer's perspective, I I kind of want to know how I fit in. If I'm going to be two fifty and I'm going to stay two fifty, but this firm works with million dollar clients. Am I going to get lost in the shuffle over the long term? Am I going to get the level of service that I feel like I deserve? You're looking at it from a fit perspective as a consumer. Am, am I really fitting into the model client that is looking for? That's,
1: that's a great point. No, no, that's a great point. And uh, it's it's a fair point. And a, a question you could ask, it's not an ADB, but a question you can ask is, do you tier your clients? Do you have, I don't know, yeah. silver, gold and bronze tiers? You know, and and what are the levels? Because even though you may check the boxes on the levels of service on the ADV, you may want to make sure that you're getting the, the the full, the full regalia or whatever it is of, of those services. If not, yeah, it may may not be a good fit. And this is again, regardless of my niches, retirees, my niches, uh, Hewlett Packard corporate executives. You know, forget mm-hmm. that. This is more like where you stand in the grand scheme of things from an economic standpoint for the advisor, because you're right. I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, it's also a business and you want to make sure that it functions efficiently. And sometimes you do to your clients accordingly. And you, you, you just want to make sure as a consumer that you're not like, you know, a secondary thought, if you will, because it's just not worth Same. it. For, for either part, because you, then you're not going to be happy with the service, and then the advisor is not going to be happy providing that service because it's there's an opportunity cost. Now, again, I may sound like I'm being very cold and calculating, but again, the purpose of this episode is specifically the business of advice. And as you're as you're seeing an advisor, what are the things you want to be looking at? So I'm being very uh, just out there.
2: No. And it, I, I think it's really important. Um, and you, you used, uh, some examples from earlier in the arc from the prior episodes. Um, like the big, big Wall Street name brand shops yeah. that offer investment advisory services. And, and I think it, it creates a very stark contrast in those, uh, arrangements because if I'm 250,000 in that context, you know, they're catching fish that with 100 million, you know, 500 million in assets. And then I'm really down, you know, the the, the food chain in, in an engagement like that. So yeah, uh, th- this is important just to kind of get a sense for who the firm, this item seven that we're looking at, who's the firm looking to work with? Uh, and are they going to make an exception for me to come in? And if they make an exception for me, does that mean I'm going to be kind of a second rate citizen among their their citizenry of clients no it's it's a fair point man it's a it's a fair point uh
1: item eight uh method of analysis investment strategies and risk of loss what should you expect to see here and, and don't i have a follow-up question to this because this is where sometimes i'm like yeah uh, it, it, from an Dude. sec standpoint sometimes i'm like what do they care and, and I'll, I'll get to what <laughs> i mean by that in a second but go ahead.
2: No, this is the methodology. This is a description of the methodology for what's going to happen to your assets after you place them under the advisor's management. Are they managing models? Are they managing every uh, portfolio, every account on an individualized basis? What security types are they using? Are they, you know, a, a mutual fund allocator? Are they allocating exclusively to mutual funds and ETFs for diversification or whatever other reason? Are they they recommending private placements, things that have much less liquidity than exchange-traded products uh, that may have outsized uh, return potential but might also lose everything? This is where those details are going to reside. And this is going to give you a sense for how much risk the advisor is willing to take on in pursuit of returns with your money. Uh, So this is really where you spend a lot of time beyond just what am I, what are they doing for me, what are, what am I paying? This is like how are they implementing that advice in my portfolio, and how much risk are they taking on in doing so, and how much risk am I comfortable with them taking on? Um, This is where it's all going to be spelled out.
1: Yeah, and so this is where you may see something on the website about how they manage money. This is kind of where you can see. The, the, the nuts and bolts without any flowery language because they kind of have to state how it goes now this is where I have strongs opi- a strong opinions because I think there's effective ways to manage money I think there's ineffective ways to manage money but regardless if what I think is ineffective it, it doesn't really matter in the eyes of the SEC if it's stated clearly here like if someone's you know as you know we're not necessarily the active management firm uh, we did a whole arc on that with Bob and wade and So we're we're largely going to say here that we're passive investors, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas somebody that's active would say here they're active. That does not. That's just telling you that. But you you can follow where I'm getting at. It's it's hard for somebody to know. Well, this is crazy. You know that kind of well. This is a stupid strategy. You know or not. But that's not the point of this. The point of this is they're just writing down what it is they're doing. Is that a correct uh, statement here? That doesn't mean that it's credible. Doesn't mean it's credible. It just means that they're they're writing it down. It's just FYI, right? And that that's
2: hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah. You, you may have a firm that is is uber focused on, um, uh, I don't know, w- w- women owned businesses. That that's their whole strategy is identifying and investing in maybe early stage female owned businesses. And and that's great. That's awesome. And and you know, do I value that as an investor? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but having it in black and white allows me to make that decision. Um, yeah.
1: and- I mean, yeah, to, to to make the to exaggerate to make an example, I I base my investments on astrological signs. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'm sure. I, I I swear to God, I'm sure there's some people that actually do that. And if they did that, it would have to be written here. You know exactly doesn't mean you know, it's good or
2: bad. I don't put a lot of value in yeah, it. That, but, <laughs> that's not the role but,
1: right now. Uh, yeah, today's episode right. is not relative to the credibility of these strategies. It just is. although I will say this, I remember we were getting audited and uh, I think it was during this part, Wade and I are, you know, being interviewed by this and, and they're asking us the ins and outs on our strategies. And part of me was like, why do you care? I mean, we have it written down and it, it's passive investing, this is, but he was like asking us like, like from a credibility standpoint, and I thought. What do you care? You know what I mean. It's written down clearly. <laughs> let's move on, right? Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? Like so. And, but, uh, and the reason I'm saying that because if somebody does write astrology down, I mean, can the SEC say, okay, that's fine, and move on, or will they say this is this is a joke?
2: <laughs> well, I I think astrology might be a, bit, a little bit of a stretch. Then, All right. Well, <laughs> at what point
1: are they allowed and- to say no? You can't do this, or can they?
2: There's, there's no. You're not gonna find right. like a black and white dividing line between this is acceptable basis for investment advice and this is not. Um, I tend to think as a as somebody who's inclined to like a libertarian mindset yeah, on yeah, things. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I get I, you. I get I, you. I, my, my standpoint is that if they say this is their strategy and they're honest and upfront about it even if it's based on nonsense, like, you know, rolling yeah. dice yeah. Or, or reading yeah, yeah. chicken bones or whatever the case may be. But that works. If so they put it out. Works. And be they, careful, that works. Be yeah, careful. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they're not lying about it. Yeah. I then, agree. You know, they, they should be able to do that. And I could choose to hire them or not hire them based on no, how I, much credibility I put again, in. Again, sure. I disagree.
1: I mean, I'm, I, I agree. I disagree with the validity of these things, but no, I agree. It's yeah. It's there to state it. If they're if they're truthful to it and they're following it the way they say it, you know that's right. that's not my place to say differently. Although that right. I'm not I'm going to make a value a
2: judgment on whether that works or doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's not for I me. Got you. That's all I could say. Okay, so
1: that's where now. That being the case, you may go on the SEC's like high cycle, <laughs> yeah, well, I know high high sure. risk high cycle yeah. audit. But uh, yeah. yeah, there it is.
0: Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals.
1: And so then you have your risk of loss statement that. Uh, what, what does that go into here? Is that the standard? Like all investments are, you know, risky. That kind of thing.
2: Every firm is required to say something to the effect of "All investments come with risk, including the risk of loss." So just because okay. an investment advisor has that in their ADV, you know, every investment advisor has that wording in the ADV. But some strategies are going to be higher risk than others. And that's an important uh, distinction to draw for an investment advisor. If I have a super conservative strategy and I also offer a super uh, aggressive strategy, kind of have to make that point clear to the reader that this one's going to be a little more conservative. This one's going to be a bit more aggressive. So if you want this strategy, you have to be willing to take on more risk.
1: Yeah, I think Um, that people born during the Aquarius – uh, cycle, take on more risks than the ones that were Libra, but I'm not, i not hundred percent <laughs> sure. No, no, that, that'd be crazy. Right. But uh, all right. So then uh, now this goes back to item nine to me, that's where, again, going with a big box retail advice, even though you think, oh, wow, look at these commercials and all of that. The reality is item nine, disciplinary information. That's where it gets crazy. Like I said, a firm, a firm that's using an institutional custodian, and I'll say McLean, just because we're talking about McLean, it, there, there's no like small company, I'm, I'm not going to say there's no, I don't want to talk in absolutes, but small company risk, that kind of thing, is not the concern because of the affiliation with the custodian. In fact, I'd venture to say it's the other way around because disciplinary actions for big box you know, institutional sort of BD broker dealers or whatever, it becomes a cost of doing business. They've got thousands and thousands of advisors. So they just embed in their budget that they're going to get taken to the woodshed every so often from the SEC and they will just move on. To me, that's, that's a bigger concern. And yes, I mean talking my book, absolutely. Absolutely. I am saying why it's better to be in an independent RIA than a, than a institutional brokerage. Cause all of this, we have access to this or that. All oh, that's BS. You know, the, the reality is I, that's, I, I go to item nine, which is this disciplinary information where it's like, my God, it's cost of doing business for these people to pay millions of dollars in fines. It's in their budget. Whereas for firms like us, it closes the doors. We're done. I I, Am am I off on this? And feel free to disagree because you may have some clients that are these big store retailers that I'm kind of like taking the jab at effectively.
2: No, I I think you're right though. Like after you grow to a certain point and you have so many people outside of the main firm principles that you're relying on to fill different roles and perform certain functions, eventually the rules are so complex – and some of the standards are kind of so vague and ambiguous that it's inevitable at some point you're going to trip up on something it doesn't ma- mean that you're like the worst shop in the world or that you're untrustworthy but yeah you're right that eventually you expand so greatly and the rules are just so complex that something is going to give you an issue we had we had a thing
1: we we had a we had, we had an office in New Hampshire and we actually I don't know how long ago. Is that 10 years ago, maybe something like that? And we, it was an administrative failure. We literally forgot to register specifically in New Hampshire. Every year you kind of re-register. And we just, I don't know, somehow we we, we forgot to register in New Hampshire. And uh, we got a fine from New Hampshire for that. And it's fine. And we were reporting that. We don't report it anymore because it's like, you know, for only so many years. But to your point, no one's perfect in that sense. And this was more of an admin faux pas, but so be it. You have to report it.
2: But the reporting is the important part, right? Because the reporting isn't going to just say, we were fined by the SEC or we were fined by the no, state no. of New Hampshire. It, it's going to give at least base level details of what the allegations or, or substance of that fine was. Uh, and if I see that and I say, oh, they forgot to register in New Hampshire, is that as bad as you know one of our principals went to jail because they stole half a million dollars from a client? No, obviously <laughs> and, and so that allows me to assess, like, how how crucial is this disclosure really to my evaluation of this firm? Sometimes it's going to be super important and it's going to cause you just to walk away immediately. Sometimes you'll be able to look at it and, and just reach a conclusion on your own. You know, they used misleading marketing language. I didn't even see the marketing piece that they were talking about, so I don't really care about that. But, you know, if, if there aren't enough details in this item nine to make – uh, re- reach a conclusion like that, then just ask further questions. But the disclosure now, in what, this section is going to be helpful in reaching... What happens if
1: you're like... What happens if you are with a, a large broker-dealer, let's say like a Morgan Stanley or whatever, and I'm not picking on them, I'm just again, it's I can identify with them. How does their item nine look? Because if you do have, I don't know, 20,000 advisors in a normal distribution, not all of them are going to be stand-up people. And so... Yeah. Item nine. Do, do, do they? Because you have to give an ADV to every prospect that you that's going to become a client. Is, is there item nine like a thousand pages? I mean, what? How do they do this?
2: So it's complicated. Is that is the unfortunate answer for a firm like Morgan Stanley? This item nine in the ADV Part Two A only speaks to uh, issues involving the firm itself. Or the firm's management persons, like the people who are in charge of- Oh,
1: like the C-level guys. Yeah. So if I'm an
2: everyday employee of the firm and I did something that caused the firm to get fined, it's probably not making its way or that caused me to get fined through the firm. That's not going to make its way into this item nine. If I have an ADV Part 2B, the brochure supplement, that biography we talked about in the last Mm. episode, I think it was- it might show up there. It might show up on what's called my Form U4, which is my filing document that I file as a representative of a firm to get registered. Yeah, but you're you're making it,
1: not you yourself, but now, okay, I'm a client. I'm a consumer. This stuff is like kryptonite to me. And now you want me to look at all these places? Come on. Uh, So if you, Brian, are working for Morgan Stanley and let's say you did something. Uh, if you hand me the ADV of Morgan Stanley, it's not going to come up that you did something is what you're saying. And then if you give not me the, the one that's, yeah. And if you give me your bio one, you're saying it may or may not.
2: It depends on whether it meets the reporting criteria. Okay, yeah. If it meets so there, the
1: reporting crisis, you have to. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm assuming if it didn't meet the reporting crisis, it, uh, it, 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 criteria, it wasn't that big of a deal.
2: Uh, in the standpoint of the people who set those reporting criteria.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, fine. That's right. Look at that answer, buddy. You're like an attorney. <laughs> I am a lawyer. I've <laughs> doing this for a while. All right, all right. So that's disciplinary information. I would read it. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong. Sometimes you don't want to ask the advisor something because you may feel uncomfortable asking a question, you know, because it, it may come across as, oh, I'm being a little untoward. But I don't think – I think it's fair game to just say, hey, have there been any disciplinary actions? Because not all disciplinary actions are nefarious in nature. Some of them are just – like I said, ours was an administrative oversight, frankly, and two months later, we fixed it. You know, that that kind of thing.
2: And and some of them are, you know, cases where another examiner who is looking at the same issue wouldn't have fined that firm or wouldn't have pursued a settlement with that firm. It's just the nature of that examiner on that day. So it, it's important to ask the questions. You're doing the due diligence by reading the ADV. You'd be doing yourself a disservice by not asking the follow-up questions and not getting yourself to a point where you're comfortable that whatever is in this item nine, you're, yeah. you're okay with.
1: Okay. Then item 10, uh, financial industry activities and affiliations.
2: This is where a lot of conflicts are going to be disclosed. If I'm an advisor and I get compensated because I have an affiliated broker-dealer and I make a lot of referrals to that broker-dealer, or I have affiliated insurance agents or other investment advisors, other yeah firms that I have referral relationships with that I get compensated for, most of those disclosures are going to be set forth here. And so this is one of the more important uh, disclosures in terms of not just what's going on under the McLean RIA investment advisor umbrella, but who are the other uh, firms in the McLean or under the McLean roof in the McLean family of companies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and what conflicts are there going to be when I'm being handed off between potentially the, these multiple yeah. entities and- or multiple entities
1: and so with McLean, since we're talking about them, there's a few affiliations that are kind of business. Now, Wade and I, again, I said it, are managing principles of McLean Asset Management. We are also managing principles of Retirement Researcher, which is an an educational-based RIA. It's non... We don't take assets to manage, but it's, it's education-driven. So sometimes, as I said in the previous episode, we run the balance of are we providing education or are we now into the advice territory? Per Ryan's recommendation... We just were conservative and said, let's just make it an RIA, okay? Uh, We have then the RISA, which is its own company as well. It's not an RIA, but it's a software company, right? And so technically, there's a conflict because if McLean, if somebody's not going to be a client and we say, well, you know, because they're do-it-yourselfers and we say, you may want to consider retirement research or where you can learn all this stuff, technically we referred them to our other business, Retirement Researcher, and technically, we if if you buy a subscription to Retirement Researcher, we've we've kind of sent business that way, and so we disclose that. The other piece is now we're doing insurance, we're doing annuities and things like that, and we do it through a, a subsidiary called McLean Insurance, you know, e- e- effectively. And so if you know you're a client, and we do say, hey, you know, your Risa scored indicated that you want annuities, uh, these are the options that make sense. Technically, we would be doing that business through McLean Insurance. Hence, McLean is referring out business to the McLean Insurance entity. So it's, it's very transparent. And yeah, there's always potential for conflict. But this is, this is how it works within the McLean structure, just because that's the, the ADB that we're reviewing. Now, the RISA, I guess technically, well – I'm just trying to think here. Uh, what would be the conflict? I guess okay. The Risa McLean owns. I'm not McLean. Wade and I are majority shareholders of the Risa. We can tell McLean buy buy a license of the Risa. Technically, there's 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 that interchange there. So it it's tricky, right? I mean, we're really all one, but because we're separate companies, we have to kind of say that hey, potentially there's this. You know, self referral system that
2: that we that we have. Did I say that properly, Ryan? Well, it, it's not like it's a self referral, but the the incentive is really to do business with one of the McLean companies as opposed to a non-McLean company yeah, okay. to get the same product or service. That that's the conflict, um, and that's what's disclosed in here. Um And, you know, it goes beyond that, which I appreciate to, to say, not only is it a conflict, but no client, you know, using the insurance example, no clients under any obligation to purchase any commission product from uh, McLean Insurance or any of the McLean Insurance agents. No, um, no, no. So, you know, the, the conflict exists. <laughs> they may recommend insurance through McLean. But I'm under no obligation to do that. I can go find that same policy maybe at a totally different agency if I don't feel comfortable with that conflict. But the the idea is that the conflict is disclosed and and I can get comfort, you know, based on what conflicts are discussed here and how upfront and candid the firm is about where their conflicts are.
1: Perfect. No, no, I I get it. Uh, Something we didn't mention, I want to bring it up. Uh, I don't know if it's here. I don't think it's here, but it was in the fee section. Uh, t- the use of turnkey asset management providers. I think that's interesting from a fee standpoint. And I don't know if people are aware of this uh, in the, in the general audience, look McLean, we do our own investments, but what's there's a, there's a, there's a, a service by a lot of, it's a business to business service by a lot of investment advisors where they provide model portfolios that other advisors use. And so to some extent, you may, th- some people engage an advisor in a relationship to do the investments, but then they realize, oh, but they're not even actually doing the investments. They're actually outsourcing the investments to a service. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and how they could identify that? Cause I think that's kind of interesting. Cause not everyone is, I mean, a lot of advisors will be very candid about that, but some I don't think are because they're thinking, oh, they're paying me to do the investments. And all of a sudden I'm outsourcing it to somebody else. That's an
2: extra layer of fee, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And it, it could be a positive. It could be a yeah, negative. Exactly. Um, it, it, it's really, you know, again, we're not making a value judgment on, you know, people who use TAMs, uh, because maybe your expertise as an advisor is in planning and that long range goal setting and less about doing research into individual securities and, and trying to get the market movements right. Um, maybe that's just not your expertise and you know enough about yourself. You're self aware enough to know where your expertise ends and where you need to start relying on somebody else. Um, so it, can, it could make all the sense in the world. The thing you want to look out for is when a firm does that, it'll, it's often going to come with extra costs to you as the client because now there's not only the advisor that you've hired, but there's probably an advisor that sponsors the TAMP uh, or at least a vendor maybe not a registered advisor that sponsored the, the, the platform um, that they're using for asset management, there's going to be advisors who are managing those different models, the separate account managers that are made available on the TAMP platform as well, perhaps, they're all going to have their own fees associated with it. And those are going to be more often than not separate from and in addition to the fees that you're paying to your advisor that you initially hired. Uh, So it's not about, you know, good, bad. It's about, are they doing it? Uh, Am I comfortable with that? And then what am I going to pay?
1: Yeah, you should know that. It shouldn't be like a month into the relationship. Oh, I didn't know you're not actually managing it. It's somebody else managing it that you're outsourcing. That's all. You just want to know.
0: Exactly. Stay tuned for the riveting conclusion of our conversation next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.